Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, you guys, Embark for Breeders is celebrating DNA week all month. Visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. Pair Predictor is the newest feature in a suite of breeder tools available with the My Embark for Breeders online experience. Just pick a sire and dam from your account and view the predictions for producing clear, carrier, or at-risk dogs for specific genetic health conditions. The Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit tests for 210 genetic health conditions, highlights breed-specific results, includes 35 traits, such as coat color and body size, and is the only DNA test to use a COI percentage score. Your test results also come with a downloadable OFA submission report. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have our favorite veterinary voice, Dr. Marty Greer. We are actually at the Kentuckiana Cluster of Dog Shows in Louisville, and we are talking about the special considerations that you might have when you're working with a rare breed dog. And April is our rare breed month this year, so it seemed like a perfect fit, and Dr. Marty was showing her Danish-Swedish farm dogs at the open show. So I said, this is it. We nailed it. So welcome, Marty. Good to see you. Thanks. It's great to actually see you in, in person. person. I know. Oh, it's yeah. so exciting. It is. So much better than a Zoom call. Zoom. Totally. Zoom, totally. Zoom is great. It saved my life. It's way better. <laughs> it is. To see people in person. It is. So talk to us when we have rare breed dogs. You know, if you have a small gene pool, maybe you're trying to preserve a breed that's in the process of going extinct. What are some of the things that you think about and what are some of the tips that we can give our listeners on that? This is really hard. I guess the first question is, why did you want to get a rare breed dog? Mm -hmm. And I think there needs to be a serious thought about motivation before you decide to do that. I have concerns, this sounds a little off topic, but I have concerns about people that want exotic pets. Mm -hmm. And that kind of worries me. Like, is a sugar glider really happy in a cage? Right. You know, is that really okay? So what's your motivation mm -hmm. for having that mm -hmm. rare breed dog? And I think preserving the breed is great. Mm -hmm. I think expanding the genetics of a breed is fantastic. I have clients that are very, very well motivated when they get a rare breed dog. Mm -hmm. And then every now and then we have somebody that just seems to want something different and quirky and maybe their motivations aren't quite altruistic. So I'm pretty careful with how right. I address that. 
So I think it's great. And this week, I've seen dogs that I've never seen. I was so excited to go to the open show today. And of course, they're not having it today. I'm like, what? Yeah, we had it on, on Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday. Right. But today and tomorrow are just the miscellaneous right. dogs. Just right. the miscellaneous. Well, but still. Which is the step in between yeah. FSS and real AKC. But I saw, what was it? The American Leopard Hound. Uh-huh. And you had Danish-Swedish farm dogs. There were Lancashire Keelers that we've done episodes about. Right. But there were a variety of breeds that I agree. I mean, and I stalk the FSS ring, and I had <laughs> never seen them. Right. And there's a Rocco Italiano we see mm-hmm. a lot. He's out mm-hmm. quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But there's breeds I don't even know how to pronounce their names. Yes. I look at them in the ring and don't know what they are, even though I've watched their name on the sign. There's a Basset Fauve something or another. Oh, the Basset Fauve de Graffon. Uh, yeah. mm, something. Yeah. Yes. Oh the Fauves gosh. are fabulous. They and are, getting to be a big hit. They are. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're really cool dogs. Mm-hmm. So some of these dogs are really cool, really amazing, great to live with, fun to have, have good work ethics, do stuff that you really want to do with them. So, I mean, there's really great reasons to have those dogs, but you just want to be careful. Right. And when you think about getting into a breeding program with them, so I want to, we're going to use the Fauves just because I think they're fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> they're super cute. Or in your case, the Danish-Swedish farm dogs, what are some of the specific breeding plans, breeding decisions, things that you have to do that somebody with maybe a golden retriever doesn't have to think about? Right. And that's a great question. When we got our first female, we brought her over from Sweden, went mm-hmm. over and got a second one. And then on a trip five years ago, we went over with the expectation of meeting a bunch of farm dogs. The woman that we got our farm dog from, Erica Carlson, was fantastic. She set up all kinds of people's homes to go visit. We went out hiking with the dogs. Mm-hmm. We went to a bunch of farms and saw them in their real-life settings. And then she In the up, wild. Yeah. And then we had a chance to do a breeding seminar with the person who wrote the standard for the breed. So it was great educational. But my expectation was to go over, find some stud dogs that I could collect, freeze, and ship semen back on. And I kind of hit a brick wall. They're like, no, we don't really want to do that. And there's some pretty great dogs over there that we're missing out on. <laughs> so we were at the home of the guy who wrote the standard Lars, and I was sitting on his floor in his house, and he opened his bathroom door, and five little puppies came scooting out, and they were doing circles for the house, as right. only right. puppies can do. Right. And I reached down and swooped one up, and I said, this is a really nice puppy. And he said, you have a good eye. He's going home with you. And I said, no, 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 I can't bring home a dog. I only want females. I don't keep male dogs. I really only want girls. I just wanted to come over and f- He looks at me and he says, this dog is going home with you. He will make a difference in the breed in the U.S. And I thought that was really insightful of him because a lot of times the countries from overseas, they have maybe an undeserved reputation, maybe deserved for not selling us the best dogs. Right. Right. I mean, it can be a struggle. It can. You know, would you let your best dog go? And why would you? And what's the motivation behind that? So we really have to work carefully with people that are stewards of the breed in other countries that are willing to give us good enough genetics that we can make a difference in their lines. So I think it's really important that you work with people that are reputable, that are hardworking, that are seeing the big picture of the dog's genetic future and not just this little world of I can make some money and I can sell some of the dogs that I'm really not all that impressed with. And I think that's super important that you have that opportunity. So I felt really fortunate to get this really lovely stud dog, and he is going to make a difference in the breed in the U.S. because we don't have that many males here. And that's the thing is, with being able to freeze his semen, I can now go back generations out and bring Mm -hmm. him back into the lines. Mm -hmm. I can line breed on him very carefully, Mm -hmm. doing the right things. So I think that's important. Yeah. 
I grew up in Clumber Spaniels. You know this. This is a gene puddle, like so many of our rare breeds. Yes, yes you don't even get your toes wet in the puddle, <laughs> much less very a shallow adult. Very tiny. But and so finding ways to outcross without bringing in things you don't want. Right. And that's challenging. It's really difficult. And, you know, how do you use the COI and how do you use your genetics? And how much of it's genetic versus environmental? I mean, there's all these things. And then there's all these DNA tests that are starting to pick up on problems that we didn't know that we had in the breed. So PLL, the lens luxation, was discovered to have a genetic marker in the Danish-Swedish farm dog. And no one knew that until Danica... Spanish found it recently. So, oh, that kind of sets us back on our heels and say, oh, okay, okay. So we need to go back and relook at the genetics that we have and how we're using those. So mm-hmm. those are really important. And as more DNA tests become available, we're going to have to be really, really careful what we do with those. So is this really a disorder in the breed or does it have a marker that maybe isn't significant? How do you use that DNA material? We had a pretty long discussion at dinner last night about DM, and there's so many nuances to this. It's not clean-cut, cut-and-dried. It's not simple autosomal recessive genetics. And I think in a lot of ways, we're trying to understand genetics, and we're trying to do the very best we can, and in some situations, we're not making good decisions because there are problems with the DNA. Right. I mean, you and I have talked about this on many occasions, and I think it has special implications in the rare breeds that have small gene pools. Exactly. Right? You cannot throw out the dog that's a DM carrier right. because you need all the rest of the genetic material. Right. right. So carriers, if they're bred correctly, can be used very effectively in a breeding program. It's a matter of knowing how to do it. It's a matter of finding a geneticist that can help consult with you. And maybe it's not the geneticist of the company that runs the test. They have skin in the game. So maybe you do an individual consultation with a geneticist that's independent of any diagnostic lab, somebody that truly understands the genetics and can give you a bigger, better picture view of what's going on. So it's important to use resources. And yes, the diagnostic labs are fantastic. And yes, they're really important to us. And yes, they're doing great work. But maybe you take a step back and pay someone for a genetics consultation so that you don't breed yourself into yet another another corner. corner. So talk to us about, because this is something that certainly Clumbers ran into, when you have these small gene pools, not only is there a question of how do I breed this bitch, so that I'm getting the most genetic diversity while keeping the type, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. We had problems early on in the breed that I was involved with it, and I think I have heard this in other rare breeds, that they can have problems with dystocia. And, you know, the clumbers would have uterine inertia, Mm -hmm. all of those sorts of things. Is that something that you see in other rare breed communities? Is that an issue that has to be taken into consideration? It is, and we see it in certain breeds. It's not just the brachycephalics. We see a lot of uterine inertia in the Bernese Mountain Dog, the Greater Swiss Mountain Dog, the Entelbeekers, those related breeds. And so how do you deal with that? And what about fertility issues? You know, if you have you a dog that's You can't get them bred. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. that's, in many cases, Sussex and Clumbers and a few others mm-hmm. that I know of, that's actually part of why they're rare, Mm -hmm. because you can't actually get them to have puppies. Right. And sometimes it's the males, sometimes it's the females, sometimes Sometimes it's a combination. The Bernese Mountain Dogs, 46% of Bernese Mountain Dog bitches, if they're not spayed, end up with a pyometra. Mm. The males, by the time they're three and a half, have benign prosthetic hypertrophy. So this is not a match made in heaven. You have a male dog that Mm -hmm. has infertility, a female dog that has cystic endometrial hyperplasia, young and infertility issues. And so 
how do you work around that? How do you yeah. deal with that? And where do you go with that? So if you don't use any of those dogs in your gene pool, again, you run into a problem. Now, there was a great article published in 2012. It's available on Google Scholar. You don't have to have a subscription to get to it. It was reporting the incidence of pyometra in mammary tumors in Swedish dogs. Just generally across the board, the yes. Swedish breeds. They did those two diseases. So pyometra, mammary mm -hmm. tumor, and dogs with both pyometra and mammary tumor. So there's mm -hmm. three columns in the table. And it goes through and it lists all the breeds that they reported. Now, it's not every breed, but it's a lot of breeds. It's probably 150 breeds. Mm. Reported a lot of breeds. And basically, it broke it down by percentage and incidence total number. The reason it was done in Sweden is because they have data on dogs. Insurance. Because of insurance. Yeah. And those are dogs that are intact. The only mm -hmm. dogs that we have good numbers of insurance here on are dogs that are spayed and neutered because they're through Banfield and some of the other organizations. So we don't have the same data in the U.S. So it was really great data. But it makes you take a second look at pyometra. Mm -hmm. So pyometra has been thought to be just sort of an unfortunate random event. But if you really look at it, the first five dogs in that listing, first is Bernie's Mountain Dogs, Rottweilers are in there, Leonbergers are in there. They're all the giant Mastiff-type breeds from Northern Europe. Weird. So they probably long deep into their DNA, mm -hmm. way, way back, that Mastiff-type dog that's described in all the AKC descriptors of this dog mm -hmm. that no longer exists was the predecessor to these Mastiff sure. dogs. Somewhere deep in that DNA, there's the gene for cystic endometrial hyperplasia that leads to pyometra. Now, there's probably more than one kind of pyometra, too. Right. And again, we don't understand it very well. So it's difficult as a breeder when the veterinarians can't even give you good answers because we don't have the information we need to give you good answers. Would it be great to have somebody do a super cool in-depth study on pyometra? It'd be awesome. You know, there'd be so much. So many, learn. so many things, though. I mean, so, pick one. <laughs> right. So if anybody out there wants to fund something, which would be a great project to contact Therio Foundation or AKC or somebody else and, you know, find a graduate student that really wants to, like, blow right. through pyometras because heaven knows we can get plenty of uteruses to study. Yeah. So, yeah, those are really important. So how do you breed away from right. those That's, things? Like I say, in these tiny gene pools, in these mm -hmm. rare breeds, where frequently they're rare because you can't get them bred, this is my question. Right. How do you get away from that? Right. And then lactation. Do they lactate well? Are they good mothers? There are some breeds that are fantastic mothers. Cavalier, King Charles Spaniels, they live to be moms. They just love their babies. And then you have other breeds that are like, ew. Get it away from me. It's three weeks old. It's getting teeth. I'm it has done. teeth. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Wire Get her pointers. <laughs> Get it out of here. I'm totally out of here. So, you know, we want dogs that are easy to breed. We want dogs that are easy whelpers, that get pregnant easily, that don't have pyometras, that lactate well, that are good moms. And what do we just describe? The dogs that the commercial breeders are perpetuating, which is awesome because they are selecting for things that people in the show world aren't selecting for. So if you look at that, if you reach into a whelping box and the bitch bites you, if you go past the whelping box and she has decided to hurt her puppies or not take care of them, if she's not producing milk, they're not keeping those dogs in the gene pool. So that kind of breeder is doing things completely different than our other breeders. And I'm not saying which one is good and which one is bad, which was right, which is wrong. We need to all learn from each other and we need to collaborate because they may have genetics that we don't know are out there mm -hmm. as show people that we could really find valuable. So instead of being us versus them, commercial versus show, blah, 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 beauty pageant versus whatever you want to call it, I think it's really important that we start looking 
deep into our souls and saying, am I really interested in the future of my breed and how do I get there? You know, if it has a leg on each corner and looks like the breed, is that good enough for you? How do you get to where you want to be so that you can reintroduce some of those genetics that we don't have a DNA test for and we probably never will? Right. Like what DNA what test? What DNA do test do? are you going to say it makes a lot of milk? Yeah, exactly. Or makes a good mom. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we're working on the working dog project, so we're looking for DNA on those. So maybe someday we'll have it, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. And we're more worried about health than we are behavior. But I think we need to really reestablish that as well, is there's a lot of people that are putting up with bad behavior in dogs, and we know behavior is genetic. So how do you test for that? How do you select for that? Mm -hmm. So there's so many aspects of this mm -hmm. that are really difficult. And then there's things like pyometra. We didn't even, who would think pyometra was a genetic disease? Yes, right? no, that is insane to yeah. me. How about parvo? Is parvo a genetic disease? Now, you and We've I have had this conversation. This. I love that because... Clumbers are amongst the group of breeds that don't tighter well to parva. Yeah. So Dobermans, Rottweilers, mm -hmm. the Pitbull Terrier type dogs, they don't develop immunity like other breeds. Mm -hmm. So we really kind of need to look at what this all really means. So it's important to do that. We can go back to the farm dogs. Mm -hmm. They're a white dog. They're right. a white-coated dog. Right. Nobody in Sweden or Denmark that I'm aware of has tested those dogs for hearing. Hearing, right. But as soon as I got mine, I started doing hearing testing. I took my first group to the university at Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my associate, my veterinarian that has worked for me for 17 years, who has a master's in audiology, I sent him to George Strain and said, you're going to learn to do hearing testing because I'm not breeding white dogs without knowing whether I have a genetic problem or not. So... Those are the things that we really have to take a look at. How do you put together the whole picture of the dog? Mm -hmm. Temperament, longevity, health, behavior, fertility. There's so many pieces to this, and it can just make your head spin. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. A number of years ago, Ian Dunbar wrote an article, The Seven Star Stud, and basically he said, pick one thing a year that you're going to try to work through in your breed. Pick what your priorities are. You have to pick. I can't pick for you. Laura can't pick for you. You know your breed. You know your genes. You know what's going on. But at some point, you have to really say, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to try to breed for or away from. And try to take those incremental steps because you're not going to get it all in one generation. And I think that's so important in the rare breed community to emphasize that you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it's really important to recognize that and not get discouraged because you're trying to 
swallow a whole elephant when you just need to fix this and then you need to fix that and then you need to fix the next thing and be committed to that long-term process. This isn't an overnight. And I think from a rare breed perspective, that's one of the things I always emphasize. This is not a fly-by-night operation. This is something you're going to dedicate your entire life to. Right. And you work with other people and you're Mm. honest Mm. with other people. So we need to stop hiding things. We need to stop backbiting. We need to stop saying bad things about other people. And we need to be really honest with each other and with ourselves so that when you look in the mirror, can you say, I'm breeding the best dog that I possibly can? Nobody goes out and deliberately breeds a bad dog, but there's so many aspects to how you have to make these decisions. And without full disclosure, you really can't get there. So we have to be honest with each other. No breeder deliberately produced a dog with a genetic problem, but you've got to tell people if you have it, because if you double up on it, you're going to have surprises in your litter. And that's unfortunate. Well, and it's if our entire purpose is to pick our breed and improve or preserve the overall quality and health and character of that breed, it involves making some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And longevity, I think, is seriously underappreciated. So I love breeding females that can still have puppies when they're older. Mm. I love breeding old males that still produce right. sperm. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you can't freeze a semen when he's young, and you should, yeah. because then you'll have access to him. But if he lives to be 16 years old and he was fertile till he was 14, you rock, man. Right. That means you didn't die of orthopedic disease. You didn't die of bad temperament. You didn't die because you ran away from home and got hit by a car. You didn't die from a thousand things that you could have died from. That's really cool. So we need to be freezing our dogs young. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be able to preserve our female genetics in a better way than we can now. Mm -hmm. We don't have that down. Mm -hmm. But freeze your dogs when they're young. Hold on to their semen. Keep a hold of it. Keep going. And when they're 14, 15, 16 years old, don't forget about those old guys in the genetics. You know, go back to the old publications of your Mm -hmm. breed. Go back to the old pedigrees Mm -hmm. and take a look and where are those dogs and what are they doing and how long did they live and what was their lifestyle like and what did they die from? Mm -hmm. That's great. The Bernese Mountain Dog people are amazing with their Burner Guard. Burner Guard is incredible. Yeah. I think every breed should have that. I think it is so unbelievably cool. Yeah. And they really should write a toolkit for Mm -hmm. other breeds like Mm -hmm. we've done with the Otterhounds and the toolkit for semen preservation. So we can all learn from each other just because you're in one breed doesn't mean you can't talk to the Bernese Mountain Dogs in their little silo about mm-hmm. how did you develop Burner Guard? How can we replicate that? And make it easy for other breeds so that you don't have to talk to 150 people about their breed. You figure out a way to write the toolkit and you get it out to other people so that we can right. all benefit from how brilliant that was. And maybe other people can even make Burner Guard better because they have a different perspective. Well, you mentioned the Otterhounds and talking to the Otterhound people about their semen bank that is now being developed for other rivers. I mean, this is the type of thing that we're talking about. Yeah. And people need to realize that if they truly, truly appreciate their breed and truly have dedicated the last 30, 40, 50 years of their life perpetuating those genetics, that they are willing to share the information, share their semen, share their genetics, share their DNA, and help other people because unless we continue to improve, we're going to have trouble. The animal rights people are already all over us, and we just need to really be attentive to the fact that the American public is looking at us, they are holding us to a high standard, and we should do a good job. But I'm also very selective about the DNA tests I personally use because I know some are more accurate than others. And so you have to know 
who you get in bed with, basically. You really need to know who you're aligning yourself with and how you make decisions. So there are great resources out there. You just have to find them, work a little bit at it. Maybe your breed club hires a geneticist. It doesn't have to be you. It can be your breed club. It can be a group of people. It can be people in your local kennel club that are in different breeds. The all breed club. Exactly. Well, I personally think that every club should hire Gerald Bell to come every single year. <laughs> the poor man. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be very busy if they do that, but he's got a great perspective. He has an awesome book that is seriously underappreciated. Great, big, huge, thick book that he wrote with Dr. Tilly and Dr. Smith, I believe, are the other people that wrote mm. with him. Mm. Fantastic book, Teton New Media. If you don't know about it, don't have it, go get it. Mm-hmm. Share it with your breed club, share it with your friends. It's a fantastic resource. And DNA and genetics are such a rapidly evolving situation right. that you need to really stay on top of what's going on. But you also need to be just a little cynical about it. Like, don't just say, oh, this DNA test is available. If it's only available in one breed, you're like, oh, well, maybe, I don't know, is this really accurate? I really need to know. Know who you're working with. But really seriously take a look at it because you can learn so much. Okay. That's good. I will find a link for that, you guys, and put it in the blog post for the podcast. So... I really think that as we kind of launch Rare Breed Month, this is good information to absolutely narrow down how we're going to talk about our rare breeds and some of the things we need to think about when we're involved with breeding them. Yeah, and if you see a rare breed at a show, go talk to somebody about it. Find out about it. They're happy to tell you about Mm -hmm. it. It's really interesting to talk to people, to see their breeds, to understand their standard, to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I will say every single rare breed judge that I've had has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. They want to learn. They're going to Europe to learn more. They'll come up to us afterwards and say, so tell me, how did I do judging? Tell me what I should know. Tell me how I applied the standard. And I frequently can say, well, I had the whole entry. So (laughs) I can pretty honestly tell you which dog was the better dog and which dog was not the better dog. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody because I own them all. So, you know, if I had seven dogs in the ring, it's because... I brought seven dogs. <laughs> and it's hard work being in those breeds initially. Yeah. It is hard work. You've got to really sort of evolve and get other people interested mm-hmm. and on board if you want to develop it. But it's so much fun and there's so much cool stuff you can do being in on the ground floor yeah. of a new breed in the U.S. So I'd encourage yeah. people to do it for the right reasons if it's in their heart. Exactly. And I think it's one of the things that I kind of wish I was younger. Yeah. Right? Like I would love to have added one of the really, really rare breeds coming from a rare breed background. It's my favorite thing when they hire me to judge the open shows. I'm like, yes, please. I would like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you'll see them go over to the table and look at the standard. Great. Yeah. Please go read the standard. Look at the drawings. Mm -hmm. I appreciate when a judge does that. I can tell you from the judging side of it, it's tough. You know, you go to that open show and you have that long list of breeds that you can't pronounce. You're like, okie dokie. Yeah. And there's 12 (laughs) standards you just now have to digest. Like Mm -hmm. in a minute. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, plan ahead. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Take it on the plane. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, Marty, thank you so much. It is always, always, always fun to talk to you. Thank you. All right, you all. I am so excited to let you know that Revival Animal Health is now a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. Revival Animal Health understands your commitment to be a dog breeder. And that's why Revival is the place to turn for all your dog breeding needs. As the pet vaccine experts, Revival is number one in selection. Breeders trust Revival to protect their moms and get their puppies off to a strong start. 
Revival offers a complete line of breeding products from pregnancy and whelping and newborn care to Revival's own reproductive and neonatal health brand, Breeders Edge. Revival's Director of Veterinary Services, somebody you might know, Dr. Marty Greer, is a leading expert in canine reproduction and neonatal care. Revival's online learning center is filled with free articles, videos, and webinars, sharing insights and tips on pet health topics, including breeding and newborn care. When you call Revival, a friendly and knowledgeable pet care pro will greet you. Revival's pet care pros receive regular training and are available to answer your dog breeding questions. Learn more today at RevivalAnimal.com. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.